0: All right. Good morning, church. Good morning. How's everybody doing today? All right. If you have your Bibles, turn them to Matthew 16 and also Second or First Peter chapter two. Matthew 16 and 1 Peter two. Uh, glad to have you here this morning. Um, how many of you guys right now are um, hoping that you know church gets out real quick so you can catch the end of the Seahawks game? Nobody. Yes, I got you here forever. Tana, your vote doesn't count, you're on the board, so you just, you have to deal with me. Um, I'm super glad to be here with you guys, and um, again, thankful the youth are joining us up front. If you were here last week, we started a new series called All In. What does it mean to to be all in in this walk with Jesus? And uh, we've been using Matthew 16 as kind of our our go-to. But before I dive into this, I got to say, if you have never had a s'more with a Reese's peanut butter cup instead of just Hershey's, you are missing out on one of the greatest things ever, Okay. So, youth, if you've never done that before, this bonfire is going to change your life, all right? And Jesus will too, but the, the, the s'mores are going to be a big part of it. Um, Jesus had um, some three commandments in this passage. So if you open up to Matthew 16, 24, we're going to read this, but let's pray before we jump in and pray that I just welcome God into this place and uh, trust that he's going to do a great thing in all of us this morning. God, I thank you so much for today. I thank you for your word. God, I thank you for the scriptures you've given us, and I thank you how you are just living and breathing through it all. I pray this morning you touch every heart. God, you speak to every person that none of us leave here the same. Uh, We leave here different because we had an encounter with you, and we've been challenged in some way to grow deeper with you. We thank you. We love you. And everybody said? Amen. Amen. All right, so Matthew 16, 24 says this. Then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves Take up their cross and follow me. So this is, this is the verse we've been unpacking. We're going to go through this for a few more weeks as we really go into what does it mean to be all in. Now, there, there's a story of a man that has been told consistently. He, this man constantly complained, complained about the size of the cross that he had been called to bear in his life. He was convinced that he had it more difficult in life than anybody. Nobody had gone through things in life he'd experienced, and if only he could talk to God about his life, if only he could say, look at this, Would God really understand what he was going through? His complaining was so extensive that it began to get on heaven's nerves. So finally, an angel comes down and takes the man to where all the crosses were assigned in heaven. He told the man, look, all you do is complain about your cross. I'm going to take you to the room where we see all the crosses, and you can pick what one you want to bear. The man was so excited. He went into the room. He saw crosses of all sizes. Some of them seemed as tall as four or five-story buildings. And as he went into the room, he finally noticed two crosses, one about three feet high and the other was four feet. He yelled out, that's the cross I want, pointing to the one about four feet high. He didn't want to sound too immature and take the smallest cross. The angel said, are you sure that's the cross you want? And the man replied, look, you don't know what I've been through. I'm not carrying any of these large crosses. The angel said, well, the only reason I asked the question whether you're sure is because that's the cross you had before you got in here. Changes perspective a little bit, doesn't it? Start comparing what you carry to other people. And I think for, for many years, people have misunderstood that phrase in this passage, take up your cross. We're, we're going to dive into that today. What does it mean to take up your cross? Um, some people, you say, <clears throat> take up your cross. People say, oh, yes, I have crosses all over my house. I, ha- I have cross necklaces. I have jewelry. I- I've got things everywhere I look as a cross. Well, carrying a cross around your neck is not literally carrying your cross. What does it mean for us today to carry your cross? Our cross is not the boss on our job who gives us a hard time or, or, or maybe just, just one hard thing we're going through. Maybe there's a lot of things we could all be going through that we could designate as this is my cross. But I think it's a lot more than just any one thing in life when we talk about a certain cross. Many times you lot of people say that, like, I'm going through this in my life right now. This is my cross. Or this is just my cross to bear. That's a, a phrase I think we've all heard people say, this is my cross to bear. This is my cross to bear. So what does Jesus say when he says, take up your cross and follow me? Now, when you hear the word cross, a lot of people associate it right away with church. A lot of people associate it with that's what Jesus did for us. It's a pleasing reminder. It's a pleasant thing. You can look at the cross and think this is victory. This is why we celebrate because of what happened on the cross. But if you were to ask that question thousands of years ago, you know what their answers are? Total opposite. If you ask them thousands of years ago, you say, what is the cross? They would say, the cross is a symbol of Roman oppression. The cross is a symbol of execution. The cross is the symbol of humiliation. The cross is a symbol of death. The cross is a symbol of a guilty criminal who is going to be just totally tortured and embarrassed and killed in front of everyone. So thousands of years ago, if someone says, carry your cross, you know what they were referring to? Literally someone carrying their physical cross to their own execution. It was a very deep, very harsh term, carrying your cross. So you can imagine when when these words, Jesus says, you must deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. What goes through their minds in that moment? We're all going to die. We all have to carry our cross. It was a public admission that you had done wrong or you were convicted of something wrong. People would leave a city and the Romans would actually line the roads with people crucified on crosses as a symbol of fear and power for anyone who opposed them. So this was not a pleasant thought of carrying the cross. But what Jesus got through the cross... Jesus was not thinking necessarily about what he was going to go through. He was looking at what was going to happen as a result of the cross. Hebrews 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him and endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand, sitting down at the right hand of the throne of God. You see, Jesus wasn't just looking at the fact that it will be painful carrying my cross, it says he looked at the joy as the result of carrying his cross. And he quite literally carried his cross. But he looked at the joy of what it was going to bring for us, what he was set out to do, what he was set out to accomplish when he finally on that cross said, it is finished. You see, Jesus saw what was going to happen and where he was going to end up. That's why he voluntarily chose to pick it up. He voluntarily chose to walk up that hill at any point when he could have said no. His goal in life was not, I'm going to hang out on a cross on Good Friday and just hurt. His goal was to be seated at the right hand of God, to give us that redemption, to wipe away our sins. That was his purpose. And it says, amidst the suffering of carrying his cross, it was his joy to do it. It's hard to picture someone being any ounce of joy when you see what he went through. And if you've seen the movie Passion of the Christ, when you get I remember that was the first time it was real for me. Watching what Jesus went through. It changed things. And then looking at this verse going that in his heart, in the midst of that agony, he had joy because he knew what he was doing. It's inspiring. Inspiring to have someone take up their cross for me. Now, people people had if you say you're gonna take up your cross in order to to get through today what it means to take up your cross, as we understand this, I think we'll understand if you want to do this, if you want to say, I will take up my cross and follow Jesus. You know what you're signing on to do? You're signing on to be kind of crazy. You're honestly signing up to do something that's out of the ordinary and you've got to be nuts. And you know, Jesus could have called 80,000 angels at his side, but he chose to please the Father instead. He chose God's way and not his way. I, I don't think I could have done it. I, I know I couldn't have done it. If I could have been like, you mean, I can just get off this cross anytime I want, let's go, I'm done. But he did it, right? He carried his cross, he got on the cross, and he did it all for us because he followed God's will. So looking at this text again, then Jesus says to disciples, if any would come after me, they must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. I think the first thing we should notice is that Jesus said, if any would come after me. So he's he's leaving us this choice, right? He says, if anyone chooses to come after me, when we've got to choose to come to Christ. We say, all right, this is something I want to do. I'm going to follow you. If you choose to follow me, nothing can stop you from following Jesus. I want everyone to know that now. Nobody can make you go to Jesus, and nobody can stop you from going to Jesus. So the first thing you do is is you make this choice, this voluntary act of I am choosing to follow Jesus knowing nothing can ever stop you. And I think for for many years, people have kind of misunderstood what this means in the the terms of following Jesus and taking up their cross. It doesn't just mean the jewelry, but it means the first part, right? The first part of the verse is deny yourself, then take up your cross. And we talked all about denying yourself last week, the first command. And today we're going to take it one step further looking at that, taking up your cross. So the, the certain picture he gives in this command If you want to do it. Now, you may know the story of Jesus well enough to know that soon after this moment, he picks up his cross, he's crucified, he carries it to the point of his death. Now, this moment of this instrument of death was then flipped, right? It then became the instrument of victory. It became our rally cry for remember the cross. Instead of fear the cross, it became remember the cross. Remember what he did. Remember the penalty that was paid for our sins. And the great thing is, that message was true then, it is still true today. What Jesus did then was not just a one-time thing. It is for us all the time. But when Jesus tells us, take up your cross, is he really saying, go outside, find some wood, sneak in here when Dustin's not looking, and grab that one. Just start walking around, right? What does he mean? Take up your cross. But he's using this statement metaphorically to illustrate some very powerful truths that I want to unpack with you today. And the first one is this. If you want to go all in and say, God, I'm going to deny myself, I will take up my cross, there's something you can expect. And before I dive into these, I hope, I hope you guys hear me today. I don't want today's message to be depressing. There's going to be some hard things, but I hope we, we'll, we'll get to the end. So stay with me to the end. Don't, don't just get through this and go, man, he's just making me feel bad. But, but understand this today. If you want to take up your cross, we can expect pain. We can expect pain. You guys ever had a sudden pain come into your life? Um, Sometimes it can be physical. Something happens and you have this extreme physical pain. Hey, this just happened. I had extreme physical pain in my elbow. Unexpected. Sometimes you can have extreme emotional pain. Um, Someone in your family passes away unexpectedly. Or maybe it was expected, but still it it hurts when they're gone. Um, A breakup, a relationship falling apart, a marriage hurting. We can have physical pain or emotional pain, but sometimes when they're unexpected, we don't know what to do. We don't know how to handle it. We get caught off guard. I know in my life, many times for me personally, I've experienced different seasons of different pain. Um, I suffered through a kidney stone a couple months ago. Unexpected, excruciating pain. Luckily, it's gone. <laughs> it's over with. <clears throat> Other pains that come in, though. I mean, I, I could, this is not a, a pity Dustin moment, but just, just so I can, you can understand some things I've gone through, maybe you can relate to some of these things. Um, I've, I've lost three siblings that I've talked about, Casey, Nathan, and Abe. I know that I've shared uh, the, the, the pain of when I lost my job at another church, when the pastor and I didn't get along. This is over 15 years ago or so now. But the, the pain of knowing things are going south at, this, at, that, at that place. Didn't know how I was going to handle it. It was emotional pain. I remember when um, my wife and I, and I shared this story a while ago, um, my wife, we had, we had a cancer scare with my wife. That was emotional pain. Everything turned out to be okay, but, but in those moments, what I want, hope we understand is, in this walk with Jesus, we can expect times of pain. Sometimes the world stinks. Sometimes it's awesome. Sometimes it hurts. But, but when these pains came into my life, I didn't always know how to handle it because I was caught off guard sometimes. Sometimes they can catch us. And You're at those times where things are going well. Things are just going perfect. And then like, Curveball comes and it hurts. Something catches you off guard and it hurts real bad. Jesus makes it clear time and time again in Scripture that we will have moments where we will have pain if we choose to follow Him. This this is this is not a maybe you'll hit a stumbling block or maybe you'll hit something hard. It's it's like this guarantee: following Me, you will have moments that hurt. Maybe physical, maybe emotional. It's hard. But God gives us a head about this in advance. And I don't think he tells us this to discourage us. I think he tells us this, honestly, it's the the opposite. He tells us we're going to have pain so we can be encouraged in those moments, knowing, hey, I knew this was coming. I knew this was coming, and now I can be ready for it. Because if you're ready for something before it comes, you can handle it better. I remember when I played football, getting blindsided was one of the most painful hits you could ever have. But if you ever turned and you saw that guy coming, you were able to brace for impact. It still didn't always work out the way you wanted to, but you could be ready for it. In our life if we know things are coming we're prepared for a curveball can come we can be better equipped to look at Jesus and say I can take this up I can follow you and go through these hard times I can trust in you and not be discouraged. John 16:33 says this, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. I love this passage, and I love that there's that last line that says, Take heart, I have overcome the world. Can you imagine if that line wasn't in this passage? I've told you these things, you may have peace. In this world, you will have trouble. And then he just goes on with life. Man, that would be a downer. But he says that last line is so key right there Take heart, I have overcome the world. He tells us the world is going to bring you sorrow, the world is going to bring you pain, but I have overcome it, and you get to be with me in heaven one day. The suffering that you will experience here on earth, guess what all of it is? It's all temporary. It's all temporary in the grand scheme of eternity. He's overcome the world, and because we have him, we overcome, and we get to be with him ultimately. But in the light of the pain that will come, we must, as Jesus says here, count the cost of this. Count the cost. The idea of taking up a cross, voluntarily suffering pain for a long-term gain, gain requires just that. It requires us to be nuts. It requires us, it's a crazy thought to go all in and do this, knowing that it's going to hurt. But I think taking on your cross is moving to a higher level. It's, it, the cross is always going to involve some sort of pain, always some sort of element of hurt. It's not going to be something that you look forward to, I don't think. Like, you know, I don't know of anyone honestly that goes, this is going to hurt. Let's go for it, unless you're a whole different kind of nuts. But we have this prospect inside of knowing we can have joy that Jesus is working in and through whatever that pain is. And that's why we can take it up with him. We can carry it with us because we know he's a part of it. When when we say those prayers, we say, God, use me this year. God, may, may, maybe I know, I know one of my prayers this year was, God, this year, help me, help me reach at least one new person for you. 2023, God, let me reach one person for you at least and show them who you are and, and show them what life is with you and, and then, God, have you capture them. Do we realize when we say things like that, we say, God, I am willing to go to the cross. I'm willing to carry my cross. I'm willing to do this crazy life knowing it's not going to be easy and it's going to hurt. After all, my salvation was bought through Jesus literally carrying his own cross, literally walking the hill with his cross. And when we look through this passage, we see, you know, Jesus says, You must deny yourself, carry your cross, and follow me. You know what we see Jesus do his last day on earth? In the garden, he prays. What does he pray? He says, God, if there's any other way for this to happen, let this be. But. If this is your will, I will take it. What's happening right there? Jesus is denying himself. He's saying, I want this, God, but you want this, and I'm gonna put my own needs aside and follow you. He denies himself, then he carries his cross. Jesus is not asking us to do anything he did not physically do while he was here. He did it then, it counts now. There's gonna be hardships. We have to endure it in order for God to bring salvation, I think, to those around us. And I think a lot of it's going to have to do with our attitudes and the way we display ourselves when these trials come into life, especially those that are unfair. Nothing could have been more unfair than for Jesus to have picked up that cross for our sins, for our sake, and carried up the hill, right? And that's because we messed up. God gave his son for us. That's not fair. It's not fair, but he gave it to us and he willingly did it. It's a given in life that, that things are not fair. Students, your teachers are not going to be fair. How many of you students, honestly, have a teacher you already know is not going to be fair all year? A couple of yeah, right? You have teachers that aren't going to be fair. How many of your parents aren't fair sometimes? Aurora, put your hand down. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> we have parents that aren't fair. Parents, how many times your kids don't treat you fairly? There's all the parents, right? Yeah, yeah, we know. <laughs> Life, uh, everyone knows the phrase, life's not fair. by Bye, Jordan by Jordan. That's not fair, right? Life's not fair. If somebody's not treating you fairly, it can make you go nuts. It can put you in a position where you, where you literally feel like you're going nuts. But that, I think, is a moment for you to be ready to take up your cross because you're going to endure some pain, some hardships, and you've got to walk through it knowing God is in the midst of these moments. Look at what uh, God, the Word of God says in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 19 and 20. It says this, For it is commendable if a person bears up under the pain of unjust suffering because he is conscious of God. But how is it to your credit if you receive a beating for doing wrong and endure it? But if you suffer for doing good and you endure it, this is commendable before God. To to take up our cross, this is a voluntary act on our behalf. This is exactly what Jesus did, voluntarily took it up, knowing what was gonna happen and received the unfair punishment for something he didn't do. And it's important to realize, as you go through scripture, Jesus didn't tell the disciples everything that was going to happen to him. He did foreshadow and say, I'm going to go away. I will die. I will come back on the third day. They didn't quite get it. But he didn't say, there'll be a crown of thorns bashed on my head. I'm going to get whipped 39 times, the cat of nine tails. I'm going to be beaten, mocked, spit on. He didn't go through the details. And I think there's a reason he didn't go through the details. But when they were convinced that he was the son of the living God, then it started to make sense. It's, I think it's after, for, for us, after we have settled our relationship with Jesus that he begins to introduce the cross into our lives. The hardships start to make sense. The things that we struggle with, I really think, start to come to a forefront once we decide we're going to follow Jesus because now we've really got to deal with them. Luke 14, 28, it says, "'Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. "'Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it?' "'Jesus actually tells us, before you take up your cross,' No, there's going to be a cost. Look at what this is going to cost you. Consider this. And here's the reality. His initial 12 disciples, 11 of them, it literally cost them their lives. All but one of them was martyred. And whether we know it or not, this is still a present day, this is a present day reality for many people across the world. We may not face that here in America, but there are people all over the world that if they say, I'm going to take up my cross and proclaim Jesus, their lives are on the line that minute. It's incredible the stories you come across about people around the world spreading the gospel. But like we said earlier, the pain may not be physical. Maybe the pain we face for for being a follower of Jesus is is more mental or or more emotional. And this is where I think we can come to understand the second part about taking up your cross. When we take up our cross, we can expect times of solitude. You could also say we could expect times of loneliness, but but solitude and loneliness. Um, Now, for me... The word alone, loneliness, solitude, that legitimately strikes anxiety in me because I don't like being alone ever. I I don't like doing things by myself. Um, There was one time where my wife took the girls, this is when we still lived in California, she actually brought them to visit her friend up here in Washington in um, Gig Harbor for, I think, four days, maybe four or five days. I was home by myself, I think, for the first time in my life. I grew up in a family of 15 kids. We were never alone growing up. Then I went to college and had roommates. Right after college, I got married, and then I had my wife. I never lived by myself. Then we had kids. Then she took the kids and went away for a week. I thought I was going to die. <laughs> I know how to cook. I know how to take care of myself. But I would come home from work, and I sat in my house, I think, for 30 minutes, and I called the worship pastor at the church. Jake, can I come over? I'm all by myself. This is terrible. And I think I went over to his house every single night until Stephanie came home. I just couldn't go home and be by myself. Knowing, though, when we carry up our cross, when we are all in, we can expect times of solitude or loneliness, times where you will be alone doing something, whether that's by your choice or by people rejecting you because of what you're standing for, we can expect these moments. Many times we read about Jesus, we hear of crowds following him anywhere he would go. And if not crowds, the, the 12 disciples. We, we, it's very easy to get this picture of Jesus always being the center of attention everywhere he went, never having alone time. Another word that's weird for me, alone time. It would be easiest to, easy for us to believe that Jesus was never truly alone. However, that would be wrong to think that because there are, very many, there are many times in scripture where we see Jesus get away purposefully to be alone. He gets away to pray. He gets away to recharge. He leaves his disciples. When they go to sleep, he's like, good, they're out. I gotta go over here now. He's got to have his alone time to get recharged with his father. The Bible tells us this in John 19, 17. This is a moment now Jesus experienced being alone in this. Carrying his own cross, he went out to the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is known as Golgotha. See, Jesus didn't just carry the cross. You know what he did for the big first portion of that that journey up the hill? He carried the cross by himself. Eventually he would fall, and we're going to touch on that in a second when he gets a little bit of help. But initially, he's carrying it himself. After the pain, after the beating, after the physical ailments come, he's literally told by himself, you must carry this cross up the hill. He had endured up to this moment. Now he had this journey to the place of his execution, carrying his own cross down the road. I don't know if you've ever heard the song uh, Via Dolorosa before. That word that literally means the road or way of suffering. And it's the very path Jesus chose to walk for us. He chose to do this himself to show us salvation to be with him. He humbled himself to walk up the road. Taking up our cross, Jesus models this then. And sometimes it will result in solitude. For extroverted people like me, this this may be something that scares you. Knowing knowing that you may say or do something where people don't want to be around you. Or you may say or do something where you have to go be alone. It's not an easy thought. All the introverts just rejoice though, right? Yes, I get a moment by myself. But know that if you're an extrovert like me, solitude and being alone sometimes, it's hard to say it, hold on. It's not a bad thing. Being alone sometimes, it is not a bad thing. This is a reality of not living of the world, living not of this world. Have have you ever felt truly alone? And I don't just mean like what the example I gave where my wife was gone for a week. But have you ever felt truly alone? And I mean like you're going through something in life and you don't feel like there is any single person that can relate with what you're going through. You are by yourself. Maybe it's not even by choice. You're, you're going through it, and it's hard. Or maybe you feel alone because you had a crowd of people. You had your friends, and, and maybe you said or did something, and it wasn't bad. It's not a bad thing at all, but you've been rejected because of it. Sometimes in our life, that will be because of your walk with Christ. I, I, can, I can vividly remember conversations I've had with people. It would happen to me growing up. Students, I want to encourage you now. You may have someone in school that when you get real serious about your walk with Jesus, they may say, I don't want to talk to you anymore. It's a very real reality you may face. I remember when I faced it in school. I remember the names of the people who said that and feeling alone because I I was thinking, why why would this person reject me when I'm I'm trying to show what life is? Know that that will happen, but don't discredit the seeds that are planted in those people's hearts. Don't discredit what Jesus is doing. It's a rough place to be at times, but when you see Jesus walking down this road, you can see that he did it and everything was good. And know that in those times for all of us, students, adults, anyone, if you ever feel alone, know that you are never, ever, ever truly alone. You are never, ever truly alone. God is always with you. When Jesus was carrying his cross by himself, God was with him. When Jesus was in the garden praying by himself, God was with him. Every time Jesus was by himself, God was with him. Every time we feel alone, we feel like we've been isolated, whether it's a physical isolation, an emotional isolation, a mental isolation, know that God is with you in every single one of those moments. He is there and you are never truly alone. Jesus knew God was with him. Jesus knew what awaited him on the other side of his death. He knew he awaited his resurrection. He would right there be at the right hand of his heavenly Father. But for a duration of time, Jesus went to be by himself, to have that alone time, to recharge. Sometimes you choose it, sometimes you don't. Know that in those times, it's easy to feel like because you don't give into the world or go with the crowd, it's easy to feel rejected and alone. Hey, welcome back. (laughs) Maybe you feel this right now. Maybe some of you right now are in this moment of, you say, you know what, I do feel alone. I feel like I've been rejected. I feel like because of what I stand for, because of my life, no one rallies around me. Maybe you have friends, maybe you have literal family that says, I want nothing to do with you. Jesus actually talks about this as well. Luke 12, 49 to 53, Jesus says this, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo. And what constraint I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division. From now on, there will be five in one family divided against each other, three against two and two against three. They will be divided, father against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother mother-in-law against daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against mother-in-law. Doesn't say daughter against father, so you, you're good, we're good. All right, Church, we, what Jesus is saying is we have to be okay knowing that if we stand for him, some people will not accept you. Some people, there, there will be some division. That's not saying it's not worth it. That's saying stand firm anyways because he's with you in those moments, but be prepared for the people that will not accept what you're believing. Maybe you don't come from a home that worships God. Maybe you don't come from a home where everyone goes to church. Either way, Jesus says, take up that cross and follow me regardless. When that season comes, there'll be a time of loneliness, but there's a payoff. The Bible makes it clear that in the midst of the pain, in the midst of the loneliness, there is an incredible payoff because in the midst of it all, we can expect partnership. We can expect partnership. Something the Bible makes clear time and time again is that you're never alone. The family of God is a beautiful thing. I, I love this church, I love the church. I know when, when, uh, when, I hear, when I drive by and I see signs or advertisements of a new church opening up, every time I see one, I get excited because I think there, can't, there needs to be more churches in the world. There needs to be more places for people to go to dive into the relationship with God. I love having partners. And it's a beautiful thing when you get to partner with one another for good work and good deeds. And I love that, that Ashley even talked about that this morning with announcements. The fact that we get to partner together and do a trunk or treat for our community, and it grows every year. That's fun. It's exciting. This gospel text seminar we have about parents and equipping parents to help be responsible and good leaders with technology for our kids. We get to partner and do a ministry for our community and with each other. This is good. We get to have partnership when we walk with God. And if you've ever done something by yourself and had a hard time, but then you bring someone along with you who wants to do it with you, what happens? It gets easier. And I think, honestly, it gets more fun. I almost said funner. I used to say that a lot. It gets, it gets more fun when you have a group of people doing things. And you can accomplish so much more when you have people doing things together. Youth, you guys banding together to do things are a force to be reckoned with. In your homes, in your schools, that's right, Aurora, represent. You are a force to be reckoned with. Scripture talks so highly about young leaders and what they've done to change the world. You guys are an incredible force, and I love that you come here. I love that you're diving into a relationship with God. When you guys do things, nothing, when you come together, nothing can stop you. I remember growing up, now like I said, family of 15, we seldom went out to eat because that was like a mortgage payment, trying to feed the family if we went out to a restaurant. But sometimes after church on Sunday, this is, this is funny, our favorite restaurant as kids was Sizzler. They had the salad bar, right? They, uh, some people were like, oh, Sizzler. Hey, when, when you're a small kid with 15 siblings, that salad bar is gourmet, we loved sizzler. And every now and then one of us would ask mom or dad in the morning, we'd be like, "Mom, dad, after church, can we go to sizzler?" They'd be like, "No, we can't." "Please." "No, we can't." And growing up now, you know, and when I know when we go out to eat what it costs, I know it's just multiply that, you know, all the 15 kids. It was a big payment for all of us to go out to eat after church. All that to say, if one of us asked mom or dad, the answer was typically no but there were times where we rallied together. All the kids, and on the way home from church, we would sing about Sizzler, and we would be bouncing up and down about Sizzler, and every now and then, we would sense the shift in attitude from our parents, and we'd get to Sizzler. And it was a glorious Sunday. Working together, we can accomplish so many things. As a church, when we come together, you get people alongside you that want to do ministry and things with you, we are a force to be reckoned with. Imagine the day where the whole church, not just this church, but the whole church rallies together and says, we're going to reach the world for Jesus. Imagine what can happen, right? We are a force to be reckoned with in the most incredible way. Romans 8.17 says this, now if we are children, then we are his heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory. Paul says that, man, when we come together, we get to share so many things with each other. We get to share in each other's sufferings. We get to share in each other's glory. And we do that with Jesus. We share in Jesus' sufferings. We share in Jesus' glory. Jesus wants to communicate this to all of his disciples. The road will not be easy. You will have physical pain. You'll have emotional pain. You'll have times where you're alone. But man, you also have partners. Partners. You've got people to rally alongside you and do this. When you carry your cross, you will not always feel that loneliness. Jesus was carrying his cross. It got to a point where he fell down. A man named Simon was pulled in to help him. That man didn't know he was going to help Jesus in that moment. But imagine that guy's story after. He literally carried the cross with Jesus. Never discredit in your life when you're carrying your cross, you have your burdens, you have your hardships, you have the pain when someone comes alongside and says, I see you carrying that and it's hurting you. Let me hurt with you. Let me carry with you. We have partners and it's a beautiful thing. Partnership means looking at Christ, what he's done and doing it. It means following him. It means learning from him. It means being a disciple, a lifelong learner from him, giving up our way of life, embracing his way of life. Namely, take up your cross. And it's not just a one-time thing. You don't get to say, I took up my cross last week. I'm good. Check the box. Followed you. done it myself the week before. Carried my cross the next week. Ready for heaven. Let's go. This is an all-the-time thing. You're going to take up your cross every day, guys. Every day, it'll be something to pick up. And the next time you want to do something that God says not to do, pick up your cross. The next time you don't feel like doing what clearly God told you to do, pick up your cross. Who's able to really do this daily? Those of us who've decided that we're, we're going to be nuts. We're going to go all in. Following Jesus is a costly thing. It costs, it hurts, but the payoff is so good. We never know the tremendous good God is going to bring into our lives by taking up our cross so that we can follow Jesus. And you may not see it until way later, but trust that in all those moments, God is working. He's moving, he's growing, he's building. He's doing something good in you and those around you. We give our lives for so many things in the world. We, we, we put our heart and soul into things, and some of those things ultimately don't even matter. Why would we not give our life to the thing that does matter, not just for now, but for eternity? Let's go all in, make it worth it. I think Jesus even throws in a bonus promise here. Like us, the disciples were thinking, well, Lord, if I take up my cross, it may seem like I'm having to just leave everything and follow you. Peter even said that. He said, Lord, we have left everything to follow you. But Jesus' verse in Mark 10, 29 and 30, he says this. And Jesus answered and said, I say unto you, there is no man that hath left house or brethren or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or lands for my sake in the Gospels. But he shall receive a hundredfold now in this time, houses and brethren and sisters and mothers and children and lands and with persecutions and in the world to come eternal life. Now, don't misinterpret this. Don't think, oh, if I lose this all now, Jesus is going to give it all back to me. I'm going to be a millionaire. That's not what this is saying. But he is saying that what you sacrifice is nothing compared to what he has for you. The payoff is always worth it. We can make a decision to hold on to what we have or we can realize that in the end, we'll lose all these things. We'll lose these things and we can be absolutely nuts and say, Jesus, I am all in on what you have. I will carry my cross. I will take my burdens. I will take them and do my absolute best to find joy in my heart knowing you're working through them and I can trust you the whole time. I'd like to invite the worship team up and have you all stand with me as we come to a close this morning. So the question for us, though, as we do this is, what is standing in the way of us doing this today? What's standing in the way of us saying, I am all in? I'm all in, God, I I will deny myself, I will take take up my cross, take my burdens, and I will follow you, and I will do it willingly. What's holding us back from taking your own cross? Maybe you've grown up learning a lot about the Bible. You've gone to church um, you, you've heard about Jesus, and you, you've had a lot of fun times. You remember the Bible stories. Maybe you didn't hear much about suffering and pain, but you had to be introduced to suffering and pain by a harsh world, by harsh realities that you've come through in life. For many of us, this reality hits, hits us upside on the head, knocks you down. It hurts when it gets you unexpectedly. I think there are moments of suffering for us. They, they can't be missed. You won't miss them. They'll hit you. They'll let themselves be known when they come into your life. But even though the cost is real, so is the reward. The reward is real. The reward is good. Embrace the cross. Embrace your cross. Embrace what God has put on you and follow him. When we follow Christ through eternity, it's not always easy, but it's always worth it. Let's pray. God, I thank you for your cross. God, I thank you that, that you took that symbol of, of defeat and turned it into a symbol of victory. And I pray that whatever our crosses are in life, God, we don't look at those as things that are bogging us down. We get to look at those as, as things that you are carrying us through to victory, God, that we know that we will be with you. We get to celebrate with you. And I pray that, that as a church, we get to partner together, God. I pray that if we see someone hurting, God, we go and we help them with theirs. God, I pray if, if people here are hurting, you bring people around them, to help them with their cross, God. We bear with each other, but we bear with each other so we can then celebrate with each other. God, we, we celebrate your work, your goodness, and your life and the salvation you've given us all. We thank you, God. We love you. And everybody said, amen. amen.